please continue. Well, last week I was talking about the white light experience, yeah. but I didn't mention, because this really sounds crazy, uh, and it ties into the whole psychophysical worldview, is that afterwards, so I had this white light vision, and then where everything turned into light, I disappeared into the light and then reappeared. Mm-hmm. And some other weird visions happened after. Uh, different than anything else that ever happened. And afterward, my sort of eyesight or my vision was kind of stained. It's kind of yellowish, whitish for a few days. So everything just seemed kind of yellow-tinged in a weird way, uh, which I just thought, well, that was just psychological from from the experience or whatever. So I ignored that. The, this all happened in February. And then by that summer, so there's no sun in the sky in February. And I was living in England then. Mm-hmm. No, not really. Mm-hmm. So by the time the summer came, I realized I could just look at the sun. I could stare into the sun for a while. Kidding me. I mean, no, a while relatively, which I couldn't before. Before I couldn't even make contact with it. I couldn't even, I'd have to look around the edges and stuff. If right. I right. You squint. Like it makes you forcibly squint yeah. kind and of thing. And then I just found yeah. myself one day, I was just like staring at it for a few seconds. I was like, that's weird. I couldn't do that before. Uh. And it, that stayed with me ever since. I can just look at the sun harder <laughs> in Cyprus in the summer, obviously, but the, within limits, uh, you know, I'm not claiming I can stay at the sun all day long, any of that. But it's just, it was weird that the ability to look directly at, you know, what you'd call real light, physical light, was affected by this, you know, mystical kind of physiological, whatever, experience mm. that uh, involved light. So ever since then, I was like, well, it's psychophysical. Of course it would be. They're somehow, they're both the same light in some way. Anyway. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense because, if, you know, from a from a non-dual perspective, if you think about it, like experience is really just what our nervous systems are interpreting arising spontaneously, including the perception of light, right? Like it's not like it's strictly out there objectively if you catch my drift so that yeah i I don't think there's any reason why they wouldn't kind of be similar in the way that you're describing like it's kind of like if if the nervous system perceives it in such a way and you're having white you know white light experiences and the sun shares characteristics yeah why why shouldn't it be similar does that make sense? Yeah, like in, in I mean, a way, like, yeah. At the yeah. time, I, I, it felt to me like this maybe because I was doing the body work and the Reiki and stuff and yeah. um, all the rest of it, and just my temp general temperament. Uh, in the beginning, I thought, like straight after, I was like, oh, that's like one of these proper mystical experiences they, they talk about in all the different traditions, or whatever. And I, I knew mm-hmm. it was like a thing, mm-hmm. but it didn't seem like. It didn't seem so sim. Didn't have all the symbols and all the the really religious aspects and that to me, that people would describe it in, you know, based in their worldview or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was very. It seems so physical, and what I mean is, it mm. it the physical became more um, changed. My understanding of physical, but the that side of it seemed so physical as well. It seemed like. Rather than this, this was a different ex- thing entirely, which is what most of them say. You know, there's the this world and then there's the other world or whatever. It yeah. seemed to me it was just like tuning in to the light in a different way. So there's the light we see in the sun normally during the day. And then there's this, this is the other way of looking at the light where you have to be in a weird state in order to see it like that. And it's just the same thing, sure. whatever the same thing is. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not mm. 
in a claim on it. It just seemed like different um, frequencies or different, something like that, much more like that. It was like a very refined physical frequency rather than, oh, I was in this other realm and I'm so magical and wonderful. And, and that. it wasn't like that. It was more either really deep into the, uh, you know, so there's no there's electrical sparks of the neurons, or yeah. very high up into the star, sun, and stars. You know, it was like something real. It had a physical basis to it somehow. Yeah, yeah. That's I, just my take on it. You know, yeah, I mean, sure. I I, no you know, as I said, it it makes sense. Um, you know, the nervous system evolved to perceive things in certain ways, so it, it totally makes sense that you know, if if in a physical sense. Uh, what we perceive, you know, as frequencies of light in a way. I mean, why, why not? Why shouldn't that be the case? In, in my own experience, like that, it was, it was like, like lightning. That's how I describe it. And actually it felt like an electrical flash or charge with, with an incredibly bright white light. And I, at, did, at first- did, did you feel a charge up your back or was it separate? Yeah, it did. So I felt these, uh, I don't know how you describe it, like a, uh, I guess a prickly sensation right up my spine at the time. And yeah, just, it felt objective. Like it felt like it wasn't in my head. It felt like it was out there and it felt like there was a lightning strike or something like that. Um, and I just remember it actually maybe I forcibly turned around the first time it happened. I'm like, what the fuck was that kind of thing? I'm looking around. Oh yeah, that's that's it because it's in you and outside of you at the same yeah, time. It's yes, like you've, yeah, yeah. it's like you've you're connected. You've connected with something. And as soon as you say that, someone thinks you're talking mystical, um, yeah. metaphorical. I had this connection with the other realm. No, it it's like you. Yeah. The electricity in you connected with a bigger electrical charge, and it sparked, and you're like, fuck. For sure, uh, like from a perceptual yeah. point of view. So what you're perceiving you, you with your nervous system, which is all that we see, right? Like that's all we see. It's just uh, sense impressions. It's not really objective in, in any way. So I, I, don't, I don't see why if you were to rewire yourself like that and you did have a physiological reaction, which had some kind of hallucinatory not that it's hallucinations like it was it felt real and and there were sensations uh with it right so it, it wasn't like you know it wasn't like i was seeing a a deva or you know uh, an inca you know a buddha or something like it, it was like a, an actual physical thing that occurred and i don't see why yeah i guess what i'm saying is i don't see the the difference between subjective and objective anymore. So I don't see that experientially when I've had experiences where I'm like, there's actually no difference. So what I think is objective is literally just uh, what what my nervous system is producing. But also um, it, it, from that perspective, if you know, there's no reason why an experience like that couldn't occur and it wouldn't feel physical. Does that make sense? If, I, yeah. Yeah. Can I can I ask you a question about sure. that? When yeah. you said you don't uh, see the subjective and objective as different, yeah. was that is that you now thinking about it, reflecting on the experience, or was you had the experience and then after that's just the way the structure of reality is now? So I didn't get that from that experience. Um, 
I largely, so I had behaviors that changed, but I largely probably went, went back when I look at it to the way that I was before it happened. The real breakthroughs for me happened with meditation. And it was after, I, I guess I've heard people refer to it as a glimpse of like a non-dual realization. Uh, not that I live in that state of mind all the time by any stretch, but increasingly with my practice, I feel like I have that experience more often. And I wouldn't say it is conceptual. It's something that I'm noticing, but I don't think it's conceptual. I'm, I'm more noticing what's happening. After I had those experiences, then a lot of things that happened to me in the past with the Reikian work or the Hyatt work, whatever you want to call it, they all started to make sense after that. And I'm like, ah, so that that's how that could have happened, if that makes sense. Like from a so yeah, my idea of saying that in relation to that experience is conceptual. But what led me to that conceptual understanding was what I would consider to be a non-conceptual meditational experience. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, uh, so I so think I was telling yeah, you about it one this- night. So, so it's kind of like, um, uh, I, I was talking about Zogchen practice, the Tibetan pointing meditations where they try to flip perception on itself to induce the experience that there is no subject and object perceptually as a matter of experience, there's no subject and object. And if you, if you have that experience, then you, you, I guess you can't look at things in the same way anymore. And I, this isn't exactly me saying that objectively speaking, these things are true, but certainly from a perspective of how we experience things, I think, I think it's true, but maybe you could make the intellectual argument. What's the difference anyway? What really um, drove it home for me was uh, this book called uh, The Case Against Reality by this guy called Donald Hoffman, who's this, you know, some sort of Harvard psychiatrist or something like that. So he's not not like a quack, you know, uh, just envisage your future and it will, you know, come true. It's, It's not that kind of thing. Like he makes like a hard scientific argument about why everything we perceive in the objective world is really kind of like looking at a looking at icons on an iPhone or apps. So we're seeing the apps, but even with our science, so our current science, we're not even, so, so we're looking at the relations between the apps, but we're not yet looking at what's behind the apps. And he makes quite a, a strong scientific materialist case like it's it's materialist so he's not making any spiritual um uh uh spiritual arguments or anything weird or fluffy he's like literally saying that like our you know our physics with big bangs and all this sort of stuff all we're doing is is looking at how the icons that we see are all interrelated and that what we're going to need is a new mathematics and a new science to try and understand what's underneath that, the part that we just can't see because um, Darwinian evolution has made it so we we don't see it because we don't have to because it's not a, not a part of our survival. So it, it just hasn't allowed us to see that. And, and yeah, he's essentially saying that 
we see absolutely nothing whatsoever of objective reality. He says time is a Darwinian feature. So our perception of time evolved, but he makes an argument that beyond our nervous system and the impressions we get that time doesn't exist, like matter doesn't exist in the way that we think it does, all these things that we consider objective. So when I read that book, I'm like, fuck that, you know, I think there's legs to this whole Buddhist notion that um, subject and object are truly inseparable. And, and that we miss it all the time because we're not operating in that frame of mind. But it, it's not to say that it isn't there. It is there, but we're just not seeing it because we're, we're living in this, this world of self and world of me and outside and all of that stuff, which as well was, you know, it evolved to be that way. It has a survival, um, a, a survival uh, purpose, but it's not the way things are. So, so I guess a combination of all these things has led me down that path of thinking that those kinds of experiences, yeah, probably us perceiving all sorts of weird shit going on in the nervous system and we see it outside of ourselves, you know, quote unquote, but what we think is outside of ourselves is not really outside, outside of ourselves. It's actually our field of vision, what we think is a hundred kilometers away or what we can see on the far horizon, at least that's actually all spontaneously arriving, arising, sorry, within our field of perception. It's not really a distance. And he even goes so far to make the, the scientific argument that, um, what was I going to say? Sorry, I've lost my track of thought. So time, time isn't real. Oh, you know, this whole argument people have about if there's no one there to see something, does it really exist? And all these quantum mechanics people are arguing about like, if, if there's no human being there to see it, is something actually there? Well, he makes a mathematical argument, which I don't fully understand. I've had to reread the book like 15 times because I'm retarded. <laughs> I wish I was smarter. But he, he makes the argument that um, it isn't there, it literally isn't there. And, and I believe from people I've listened to, he makes quite a convincing argument. I'm interesting. Yeah. I've not read uh, – it reminds me of J.G. Uh, uh, Ballard, the – crazy novelist from years ago. I yeah. remember a quote he said, uh, everybody's living inside their own vir virtual reality machine anyway. Yeah. So this is like decades ago he said that. Um, so Hoffman thinks that there is an object. So he's like Kant in that sense. So there, there is a thing in itself. There is an objective universe. Yeah. It's just we have no access to it. We're no just access. part of it that is aware and has its own yeah. version filtered yeah. to it. So like the... Time isn't uh, real. So he's saying that even in time. Your nervous system. Yeah. So the, the way I would connect that with making it uh, the inner version closer to the objective version would be the fact that we've evolved. Yeah. So the fact that we've evolved in it. Um, we were talking about Kurzybski. He talks about this, how the mathematics is true in the sense that it's similar in structure to the structure of our nervous systems and then – if it's you can do something with it, if it's similar in structure, if your knowledge is similar in, struct in structure to the outer world, then you know it's real because it's all about 
similarity of structure. Sure. And he says about the that's the um, nervous system is working, you know, has in mathematical ways or understands in mathematical ways. I can't remember the way he describes it. Hmm. Uh, so because we've evolved in that, we, you can assume to some extent it is the out objective world that we're experiencing to the level that we, it's close enough that we survived. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't see how it could be pure because, I mean, how could it be? Because we're interpreting all the time. Yeah. One thing, and again, I haven't read the guy's book and I don't know, I know who the guy you're talking about is. Mm. I haven't read his book, so I don't know. But one thing I would, from what you said there, he doesn't, he says he doesn't believe in time or space. <laughs> yeah. This is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but then again, his book makes sense of the title of the book. So I would say, my feeling recently anyway, is that time is the only thing that exists. Mm. Okay, that's stronger than I mean it. But time is the only thing you can be certain of is, is, the, is that forward direction of time. Uh, space, you can definitely say, is just inferred from um, the, the brain nervous system way of understanding things. Uh, but, you know, your any understanding of space is already in time because even if you try and map out the connections in space in a very hyper-intellectual, abstract way, it takes, even if a computer does it, it takes a little bit of time to go from one bit to the next bit. There's a sequence. Yeah. Uh, so... Anyway, so I mean, I'm just speculating and I, I yeah, don't I, the book, but I will read it now. I... Um, I, I won't put myself in the position to defend him because I, I must admit I don't fully understand everything by any stretch yet. So I've, as I said, I've read it. I've read it once, and I've referred to different bits once, and I still don't feel like I've got a, a good grasp. Uh, particularly, I mean, we're definitely bullshitting yeah? ourselves constantly about oh, our perceptions totally. and our feelings and stuff. Totally. So I mean, yeah. it makes it makes logical sense. That it's bullshit all the way down. And it does, you know, I guess it's it's bullshit in the sense that it's not what we think it is. Again, it's what, this argument that we, we think it's something that it's not. Yeah, it's not yeah. the same. It's not the same as saying there's nothing. There's nothing there. Yeah. There is something yeah. there. Absolutely. I, I don't think he's saying that, but I think he's saying it's it's more a matter of what what our nervous systems are picking up and what we're cognizant. I'm guessing of. he would even say the yeah. idea of there's something there is already our nervous systems creating a here and a here and a there to compare the difference and creating that here exactly. and there is already a yeah. metaphor for space or space is a metaphor for here and there depending on how you yeah. think about it. Um, so if we go back to the Reichen and the Hyatt type experiences hmm. uh, it may just be simply or like what you know the fashions now you know DMT and ayahuasca and all that <laughs> stuff Yeah, uh, is you're just seeing what is there and is there could be either nervous system or the external world? We don't know, but you're seeing more of something that's going on, or you're seeing mm. what's going on in a slightly different way, or a deeper way, or a wider way, or a higher way, or whatever. Yeah. And rather than it just being completely made up, that would that would um, that totally fits in with what I was describing earlier about the the light thing. It just felt like I was seeing what was already there. Yeah. Uh, it felt. In fact, straight after the way I described it to Sandy, I didn't really tell many people because it sounds mad um, <laughs> until I found out it wasn't actually that as unusual as I thought. It was like it was more, not common, but you know, like it happens. Thousands of people have had it kind of thing. Sure. Um, is uh, I was like, I was saying to people, it's as if my mind 
suddenly um, leapt to the level of the sun. And I mean, that literally (laughs) physically, it was just like my mind was up there in the light of the sun now. Mm. And then it dropped back down to earth. And I was saying as if, as if, as if. And then I thought, well, why as if? Maybe that is what happened. Mm. (laughs) Maybe you just, you're like, your awareness is down on the planet. And then it just connects in with the light that's coming from the sun. Because by the way, that experience happened to me exactly at dawn one morning. (laughs) So... Uh, I might just be adding, like, making it more poetic than it really was, but it really just (laughs) seemed, yeah, Yeah. it seemed like it was, it was solar. And the, I stopped dropping, I just dropped the as if, I was like, why say as if, that's just what it is. So for a while, I just thought that's what it was, like, in a matter of fact way, kept it to myself till now. Um, And uh, there's not really a a simple answer, other than I don't think it was a different realm. I think it's the same Mm. It's just a different way of looking at the same realm. Mm. For sure. Yeah, it can't it can't be anything else, can it? Because there's nothing there's nothing outside of you as a matter of experience that you are actually able to see. Well, that's the point. It yeah. disappeared. So yeah. like I've definitely heard Buddhists talk about this where you yeah. <clears throat> um some of the Buddhists talk about where you at the point of the fruition yeah. or whatever whatever that group of them call whatever word they have is that you disappear and reappear. Well, you, if it just st- your experience stops, all that happens is you just disappear, reappear, but it's just an instant. It's like you start mm. somewhere else and there's a gap. It's like you're, you're looking back. Oh, there was a gap there when I wasn't there. Hmm. You're not in, you're not, not there going, Oh, I'm not there now. If you are experiencing not being there, then you are experiencing something. So it's not what it's, I'm it's like, about. it's like you shorted, you, just, you shorted your being. The, the narrative yes, of your and you just reappear. It's like a deep sleep. You wake up and it feels like ages yeah. ago yes, last night. You know, it it's feels like, like two power lines hitting you... each other and the transformer blows up or something, you know? Like it's, right. uh, yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, wow. So, Did, so, so like, and you were saying the effects the... stayed for a while Did you, and, and you felt like a lot of things went away and so, so maybe ways you were behaving changed and all that sort of stuff. So what, uh, what else, like did it last for good? I mean, have you, did you go back to, you know, Kevin, some of the old habits afterwards? Did it take a while? Oh, most of like- it, yeah. You know, and most of the, most, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're basically just the same person, sure. mostly. Yeah. But seeing it um, more, some kind of external or higher view over the whole thing. Hmm. Again, this could just be a, you just grew a new part of the brain. It really took a, it, it was a year after it was really like developing by itself for a year after, especially. Yeah. Um, there was something growing about it, whatever it was. Uh, it's like a, it's like a growth. It really does feel like a growth and development rather than a event with one set of results, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, some of my habits went away. The basic, I think I said the last one, the basic level of existential fear I had just went away and has mm. never come back. Mm. I didn't even realize I really had a, f- a feeling of just being w- like when wandering, not knowing where we're like, no, no aim, no mm. big aim, you know, just kind of here wasting, mm-hmm. wasting time. Yeah. And then, um, that went away. And then some s- habits around drink. Uh, yeah, I said as well last time, uh, stopped drinking as much, stopped, um, uh, some silly relationships. Uh, they just all happened by itself. It didn't really mm. didn't really require much effort. I just wasn't doing those things anymore. Whatever mm. 
maintain those things just kind of seemed to burn away. And I mean, it really burned, burning away is the best way of describing it. It really did feel like things burn away. Sure. And then you feel things after a few weeks or months, you feel things creeping up again, but they're not as strong. So like I'd notice 
you know, I was buzzing in high for ages for a couple of weeks, weird coincidences, all that kind of stuff. And then you just felt fading away and I felt some of the old stuff come back again, some of the old habits, but not as strong and they're kind of at a distance. Yeah, the just distance feel is important, come. right? Yeah, sure. So okay. it's still there. The thing's still yeah. going by itself. Um, I The structure of the way I saw things was a little bit different the very first time. I had more of these experiences later that had a bigger kind of flip in the the way I perceived subject-object uh, relationship or, you know, my understanding of that changed from the inside later. This one, it was more... The first one, it just kind of, it was only, ref, it's only now reflecting back. I realized the process has already started then. I didn't, I thought it was later. Mm-hmm. I thought it was another event that happened the year after is when it started, but actually it was this one. And uh, I, one of the main things is it's kind of hard to measure, but I just noticed I didn't get involved in things that were a waste of time as much. Mm. So like I just didn't get involved in a debate about something. Things is you just I got a a knock or a not an instinct, but I just kind of got a feeling for when things just aren't going anywhere and just don't go towards there, don't go towards that person, don't go towards that um, debate. Don't I just uh, they just fought, fell away. Whatever it is that drives you to all these stupid habits or all these um, neurotic stuff or whatever, just a lot of that just went away. And then my deep habits and bad behaviors uh, really came to the the ones that were like part of the way I am and personality traits and stuff really started coming up and seeing them clearly and really cringing and hating a lot of stuff, <laughs> which since mm. later you just learn to accept because it's just, you are a certain type of person. No, no, getting rid of them. Uh, yeah. But a chunk of the stuff you can't change. Yeah. And you know, like kind of the, that's what you kind of learn as you get older with the stuff is some things you really can change a lot, far more than you think. And then other things, not really. You just like uh, there's. We have different brain structures, different body types, and personalities yeah. to an extent goes along with that. There's just a, people have types, different ways of categorizing the types. But there does seem to be like people just are certain ways. Um, you can definitely train certain things. You know, you can you can do things to train yourself to be more uh intuitive on the one hand or you can train yourself to be more logical on the other hand um but you're like for me i'm trying to become more logical and rational since the, these events which is the op- uh, which is the opposite to a lot of people they're much more like that and they have some kind of experience and then they flip the other way and become like new age over the top and all that stuff i started at the weird stuff and then became much more rational and um practical after these experiences but i'd imagine for somebody who's already like that they would go the other direction you mm. know you get these uh stories of these old saints and whoever who were like warriors and then when they got older they became the saint in the cave but they were like mass killer warriors before that yeah well the buddha so, was was like that as well who say the buddha was oh there you go that's his his story Anyway, so mine was backward from that. Mine started. So like this really led me to be more practical and rational. And, and um, that was the funny thing about the whole, uh, the pandemic lockdowns era was everyone just, I don't know, actually before that started really with the um, Trump stuff and all that. When mm. there's <laughs> everyone, the culture got really esoteric and everyone mm. started getting into weird shit and, and all that. 
Uh, I found myself going in the opposite direction the whole time because I was yeah. already like that. Everyone was just looking for all these connections and and hidden stru- hidden meanings and hidden um, forces that were controlling things and all this esoteric stuff. Uh, and I just found myself going the opposite direction. I was like, no, I need to get more, even more mechanical and about the body and stuff, not less. Yeah. Because uh, I saw where all that led. So find myself again contrarian in some respects to the culture in general but at different phases find myself having to rebel against the rebels yeah totally i i'm the same i you know similar to you i probably left all the conspiracy stuff and getting hung up on it you know in 2005 or something and i haven't really gone back since to be honest um i you know i thought the pandemic was kind of yeah, it was awful and there were a lot of pressures on people and everyone was very stressed. But I actually spent a lot of time getting really good at things that I never had the opportunity to get good at before. So I did try to use it constructively. I mean, there were definitely periods where it was hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Being locked in a in a unit for six months by yourself can, can get tough. I can tell you that. But um yeah, I don't think it was an entirely negative experience. Plus, I got the opportunity to work remotely, which was not even on the cards before that. But um, yeah, I guess it was it wasn't all bad. Um, but you did have to stay away from from the culture at large. I was just on something you said about um, uh, your experiences and bringing that. You know, uh, I guess the layers of the onion after that experience kind of came off and um, you, you created that distance uh, from those behaviors after that experience. What, one of the interesting concepts in direct path Buddhism, so paths of Buddhism like Zen or um, as I was saying, certain Tibetan lineages like Zogchen is a, is a famous one. Um, so, so they say there is definitely a preparation up until the point where you have you have what they call you know a glimpse, a, a glimpse of that non non duality, but the the rest of the work, which as far as I've read, makes up quite a lot of what they do, is actually stabilizing that glimpse. So it's one thing to have the experience, but it's another thing then to integrate it totally, and and the the outcome of these direct paths of Buddhism is to basically, I think, be you know fully cooked. So to live in that headspace all the time, which is which is the goal for them. And I, I, looking back on on Reikian work, I guess, which is more psychiatric from a psych- psychiatric perspective, uh, or someone like Hyatt that took it in a mystical direction. But what I thought maybe was a shortcoming at least at least with Hyatt I don't maybe the traditional Reikian therapists are not even thinking this way anyway so they're they're thinking from a psychiatric point of view so it's like are you you know you have this problem then we'll get rid of it this way and after that everything's fine but at least when people took this work and made it mystical I I always thought that well I think now that maybe a shortcoming is that there's not a whole lot of work around stabilizing these experiences. So, so I mean, they come up and you have this inexplicable experience, 
Whereas in other traditional traditions, perhaps they would ignore something like that to some degree, but there would be the kernel of truth in that experience, which is, I guess, in your case, maybe some some form of non-dual realization or whatever you described it as. And then they take that and then they they try to stabilize it. Uh, and that's actually what makes up the bulk of that work in that tradition is, is the process of stabilization, which I find fascinating. So they, they take those experiences, the non-dual glimpses, and then they build on that, I guess, go and meditate in a cave for six years or whatever fucking crazy stuff these guys do. And, and, for them, the end goal is living in that state of mind all the time. Not, not necessarily, you know, having a full-on energetic blow up like that, but, but at least having that true perception or, or cutting away everything that gets in the way of how things really are. If that, yeah, I think that's the way to put it. So, so cutting away all the delusions about perception and having a non-dual glimpse and then trying to cultivate that mind state so you're in it all the time. And I think they consider that, you know, once you're, once you're there all the time, that's Buddhist enlightenment effectively. Yeah, I think, yeah. The, see, the, I've been thinking of this recently. Yeah. The, after having had the, you know, the event or the change, I think it would be pretty easy for me to induce a glimpse in someone mm. if they were if they were willing. Yeah, like uh, an know, energetic like, um, glimpse. Can, how, just by asking questions right. and being like confronting them physically, psychophysically. Yeah, and the question, and then no, but this, this, and just keep looking at this. We look at this way, and I think I could get them to go have the kind of experience of the mystery in the moment. Sure. And then once you've had that, you are like, okay, I've had the glimpse or the a taste. Mm. Uh, and then it's a case of uh, getting them back to that. Now they know what it is mm. or they know it's possible or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like when the, the experience I described earlier, the big one was that was like years after having lots of the little experiences, little kind of glimpses here and there, all different kinds of ways, methods, every kind of method you can think of to do these things, but then got bored and moved on to the next one before making any real progress right. as, as the way is. Um, so like, I'm not, there'll be a type of Buddhist person listening to this to be like, especially like, uh, you know, the Burmese, was it Theravada? Ther yeah, exactly. Theravada. Uh, I, I am saying, actually critical oh, of. What you're yeah. describing with the light, oh, that's just the arising and passing phase. Yeah. That's not actually the fruition. Blah, blah, step blah. four no, B, I understand. <laughs> you know, as per text, uh, you know, uh, 18.6 act five. <laughs> That's, it, it, that's it, yeah. Yeah, they've got so many fucking stages and you know, it drives me so crazy. Like the, anyway, sorry yeah, to interrupt. All the different uh, yeah. uh, stages, yeah. yeah. Um, so like I know some of them will be thinking I'm just describing the thing. I'm not. I had all those as well earlier. I had all constant Kundalini experiences for years. Like yeah. I've at least an hour of intent, not different levels of intense Kundalini experiences a day because I was doing a certain practice where I was lying down a lot and working with all this stuff for years. Uh, lots of all the other things going on. Um, so I'm talking about the event at the end of that that is qualitatively different from all of those things, including, you know, all the chemical 
ways of inducing these things, which are for most people a waste of time, I think. Mm. I'm annoying people now. <laughs> um, how many people have you ever met who became enlightened and I mean, or had an awakening while on the drugs? None. Very it makes rare. them worse. It makes them worse. It makes Very everyone rare. worse. Everyone. All, what yeah. happens though is somebody who has an awakening or enlightened or whatever from some type of practices later, they talk about how they 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 mm. did, did these things when they were young, so everyone thinks these things lead to it, but they don't. Or if they do, they just give people a glimpse, and then they usually become obsessed with the having another fireworks. glimpse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, being an, they and often become egomaniacs and think that they're being given like instructions and visions. I've seen it all. Yeah. Um, I think the only way, the only person I know that's gotten away with it is me. And <laughs> that's because, and I've known quite a few people that have, that have done it. Um, but, but I went in with a very skeptical mind frame and I never did it much. I've done it a handful of times. And once I did it, I'm like, that's enough for a long time. Cause, cause I tried to, I tried to see it for what it was, but then again, I, I had the benefit of reading certain people that said that's the way you should view an experience like that. So I guess I was kind of lucky, but, um, I was lucky for that. Yeah. So it was the same thing as well. Once you have the yeah. basic insight and what's going on, you don't actually need it. No. Yeah, uh, exactly. You, you don't. can do it without it. And I, yeah. I remember I was lucky that I read the, there's like a pretty sure it's William Burroughs quote. He says somewhere, everything you can do with drugs, you can do without them. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I remember reading yeah. that really young and I, that always stuck with me. And, uh, so it never, I think a lot of it is just, again, people find something that thrills them and it becomes part of their identity. I mean, there's the, the exceptions that obviously people who do this thing as a proper spiritual path and, mm. and live in the jungle and whatever. Um, that's kind of different because it's within a greater context that has a system and a time yeah. frame and all that stuff. Um, it's not like this Westerner get high, oh, and now I've seen everything. Uh, make a bunch of errors and then just repeat the errors and then encourage a bunch of other people to make the same errors, mm. which they like to do. Mm -hmm. um, but for some people, they just have to do that because they can't get the glimpse any other way. Yeah. yeah. So they just can't, and uh, or they don't have the time or they don't have the discipline to do something or they don't have the luck, just sheer luck for some things, you know, like when, uh, or you were just born this way, you know, like I just remember being really young and, I've been little, doing little mystical experiments in my mind, trying to imagine nothing. Where would nothing be? How could there be something instead of nothing? And if there was nothing, where would nothing be? Mm. And I'm thinking about this for ages <laughs> and ages, but there wouldn't be anywhere. No one would even know that there was nothing. And at some point, my brain would just go, I couldn't, I, I couldn't take it anymore. And I get mm. this kind of like blue flash in my mind. And then after, I was like, oh, that goes weird. Jeez. No one else is really thinking about this stuff. There must have been a difficult uh, experience in Glasgow to have at the time, mate, I would imagine. Well, this is, even, this is, this is farther north. This is in the, oh, high, okay. this is in the okay. highlands. Oh. Just about looking, at a, looking, yeah. at a, looking at a loch. So I'll translate for people. Lake, lake. outside yeah. and um, uh, hills and just looking out in the middle of nowhere and going, I was already, <laughs> there was already nothing and I was imagining even more nothing. And uh, But the, so anyway, that was like that's just the way i was built and then i know other people like this it's just the way you are so that's just luck it's just the way you are mm. uh, for other people they could become interested in it and they have to do something about it and um so i don't blame them for trying the, the quick fix yeah i don't think it's uh, yeah with, with the right context i think it's okay and, and maybe timothy lady said somewhere about the 
Yeah. He, I'm sure he he describes about the white light experience using LSD. Pretty sure. So I think I've like I'm pretty sure, like because you have the circuits, his, right? The circuit theory. Um, yeah, I mean a yeah. lot of that is like have these experiences and then they're filtered through a hyper intellectual psychologist guy. Right. Yeah. So he comes out with all that stuff. You he was know? a smart um, guy. Uh, I must admit. Ultra smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, is, what's the name of the book? The Info Psychology is wild. Yeah, yeah it's a good it's book. Wild ideas, like uh, so, like extreme and different. Uh, even though there's like problems with it, it's still um, interesting because it, you see how uh, uncreative people are now when you read something like that, and that's like decades ago. Totally, academia should be like that. <laughs> that's what they should be producing stuff like that. It's so boring now. So stultified. Yeah. Um, so you want to talk about character or you just want to keep going on this tangent? I don't mind. <laughs> I'm easy. Uh, well, to tie in what we've been saying yeah. to character, I mean, you could really say that uh, to change your basic character. Well, can you, do you want to define what character is in terms of Reich and, uh, and yeah, uh, sure. Reich and Mark? Yeah, I can kind of do that. Uh, so, so maybe the best way to approach it. So I guess we can go through what we were talking about maybe a little bit next week and I can derive it from that just so I can remind the three people that listen to it <laughs> more than three, more than three. Or we can just go on about, we can, we can just carry on today about this, um, this kind of stuff, enlightenment stuff. And sure. The, I think we can, uh, because I think the character ties into it largely as it, well. It does. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's hard to put your finger on how but yeah, i mean by like we we're saying last week the character is not saying you you have to infer it you don't you yeah. don't experience or see it directly in yourself yeah yeah um, um and, and yeah i guess his idea of you know having some sort of cosmic energy uh as kooky as that sounds you know you have these white you know wide light experiences and you wonder you know maybe there is something to it and and the fact that he tried to physicalize that so he tried to uh, demonstrate it, and I think he used, you know, what do they call Geiger counters? Geiger counters or something like that. They're yeah. kind of those. They measure electromagnetic, like you know, energy or something like that. Um, and I think he tried to demonstrate it thermically, or some other way. Anyway, he felt that he demonstrated that it, it exists in some way. I'm not sure if that's See, I'm not, true. I'm not, I'm not qualified and knowledgeable Neither. enough to, no, to know all. about any of that stuff. And <laughs> I haven't read his stuff enough on that. But, but it kind um, of makes sense, right? In I, light of- I like the approach. I yeah. like the approach of going, yeah. well, if it's all it's all same thing somehow, it's all interconnected in some way. So yeah. why don't don't separate them? Just But the actual method is based on psychophysical uh, union uh, unity. Hmm. Um, and you know, physical, mystical unity, or and it, and it or makes, as, uh, Hyatt called it in undoing yourself. Yeah. I think uh, spiritual biology sure. is another good way of saying it. Yeah, that is a good way of saying it. I, I don't recall reading that. It, it, and it also, in terms of character, so so Reich's theory, of course, was his theory of segments. So the body was split into segments. Um, and through, I guess you know, I, we were discussing it last week, uh, stuff like developmental oppression or stunted love or sexuality or the way that he framed it in those terms. So those those energies that are intense primordial energies, um, because of the way we're brought up, um, 
we develop certain patterns and because we're taught not to fully express them in ways that we're meant to express them. And I think he's right on this. I was thinking about it. I, I do give him a hard time. And I think in some ways he's flawed, but I do think people are terrible parents. And I think that children do develop subpar or incorrect ways of dealing with things. I think that's pretty clear looking at the world today <laughs> that that does happen. Whether or not that's an implicit condition of mankind, I guess it's a dis different discussion. But um, these patterns of psychological armoring that you incur before your rational brain or before your frontal cortex is fully formed, which matches his theory, because in his theory, he's saying that all this happens mostly when you're a child. You develop this armoring basically when you're a child. And that um, in a sense, the tension that in, in the body, uh, so I've just been thinking through this as I've been going through all this literature. So you have tension in the body, these patterns of tension. In your case, the posture could be all muddled up and certain bits of the body could be extremely tight and other bits not tight, some muscles locked into place. And that a person has a way of interacting with the world and walking through the world that is very individual <laughs> because of the way that they were brought up and because of the other part that's not changeable that we we're talking before, the genetic and just who you are. And over time, uh, the way he described it is through different segments have different charges. This is his language. And that basically what occurs is because of the armoring, because of the muscular tension, the energy can't flow properly. And it's meant to flow from, from the pelvis area through up through the ocular segment, which is which are the eyes, and then back down again in like a vertical circular motion. And when you get when you have the armor in the different segments, certain segments become charged or overly charged and some segments become undercharged and what occurs is as you start to grow up it's a bit, a bit like a walking trail so you, you know you go into the bush you go on a bushwalk and there's walking trails everywhere and you can see where everyone's been walking over time right it's the same trail i get i guess it's a kind of it's a bit like that from psychological neurological and physiological standpoint and then you get caught in these habits or, or the way that the energy is being diverted through your body. And the way he described it is because of this, you get dams of this energy. The energy gets dammed up inside certain parts or segments of your body, depending on what type of character you are. And that just reminds me, I'm going to put up a picture when I edit this video so people can see what I'm talking about. And it just doesn't sound like a bunch of gobbledygook. So, so it kind of makes sense then that because we know that the neural synapses in the brain and the body that they control obviously have a relationship. So if your body becomes tense and tangled up in a certain way, that your brain is going to have patterns of a certain nature. And if you're extremely tense, extremely wound up, and, and you're that kind of tense person, always in a sympathetic nervous system state, or, or at least a sympathetic dominant state, that your behavior is going to be 
also inflexible like your body because you're 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 not able to channel energy through your body and your your brain is also kind of stuck so when you when you observe your behavior or the way that you're interacting with the world around you it makes sense that you you know people can't change it right they're like fuck why can't i change myself it's because like you're kind of stuck you're not taking advantage of the neuroplasticity that certain activities like this can give you so then when you go through the process of undoing the knots or the muscular armor um, over time and you start to free up these dams of energy that are, that are stuck because of the tension and you start to break the, the neural synapses, the neural chemical synapses in the brain, you start to break them up and change your wiring as you're changing your body. <clears throat> you can, I, I, I think that you can have these explosions of this dammed up energy as you as you start to clear up these these pathways and and start to get rid of this armor and that that also leads obviously to a change in character and i think that really kind of measures up to what you're describing because what i've just yeah. described now really is how reich himself saw it right that's how he thought it worked after the experience yeah. I, I i never mentioned that as well as the behavior changed my structure changed the way structure. I was holding my body changed. Oh, certain body, areas of muscle yeah. tension. Yeah. Um, certain areas of muscle tension kind of just went away. Uh, the right. areas of my body changed. It didn't go away forever, but I mean, um, it didn't go away everywhere. But things definitely changed and didn't go back. And I felt like the the energy that until then had been rushing around. And I, I don't know what did I say last week, but it reminded me of a garden hose pipe that you that's spraying water out and you drop it and it's flopping all over the place with you know water spraying everywhere yeah 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 um it reminded me of the energy going up my back and mainly around the, the, the this spine area but it's not just there it was everywhere electrical sparky kind of physical objective feeling not not um, not i was not wanting it a lot of the time so like i'm sure. not wish um not having myself on, trying to make myself feel good, which a lot of people are in the beginning. They're like, oh, is that it? Oh, yeah, I think I felt something. None of that. I was wanting rid of it half the time because yeah. it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. And it was rattling around. And then after this experience, that energy just became kind of um, earthed in or wired in or uh, it's uh, flowed better. It's more like you were saying about Reich with the the up and down. Sure, the vertical flow. For yeah. kind of um, circulation thing. Yeah. Uh it seemed to be like that that would make sense i was more upright i was uh um just general kind of health things became better that's when i became interested in like really what are now basic health things that are all over our sphere and twitter you know mm -hmm. like getting more sunshine and that kind of thing
um, you know, really think about those things yeah. before that. Uh, there was a kind of just a more, uh, just energy, just the general energy, the feeling of being me, body mm. feeling, and that changed and didn't go back. You know, the structure of the feeling, the whole way of feeling changed. Yeah. You know? um, just more energetic. So you, you, and, you sound like you just freed up, almost like you freed up yes. cognitive space that wasn't there before. And, and along managed- with that becomes behaving differently. Yeah. So like your character yeah, yeah. will gradually change because you're like not doing these things that are bad for you. Why? Because it doesn't feel good to do them anymore. The, the mm. little self-destructive things like drinking too much or just kind of just, you know, like lots of little small things. They just don't, the neurotic or the tension that was driving you to do that thing to relieve the tension that creates more tension, but yeah. you think it's going to relieve the tension that went away. So you just find yourself not doing them. So you stop doing those behaviors. So the energy changed, you move in a different way. You find yourself being attracted to different things and repelled by different things slightly, which means your behaviors start to change. And then before you know it, you're living a different life and your, your character is a bit different. And then eventually someone will say, Oh, you're so you'll meet somebody from the old days and they'll think you're different. Mm. Um, without you realizing it, you'll surprise you with the first person says it. you'll think you're not. And then you realize, Oh, actually I am. Or you'll get annoyed. Oh, I have not changed, but actually no, I have a bit. Um, and then that just starts unfolding by itself. And then if you keep going, if you keep working on yourself, the, the process will keep happening. Yeah. Uh, but again, all of these things really easy to kid yourself in on top of the, on top of the objective thing that is really happening. You can kid yourself on and think more things are changing. For sure. Uh, well, all I've noticed is I'm less likely to delude myself about big rapid life changes I've just made, or I'm going to do this thing that will change everything and none of that. No, you, no personal utopias. Mm. We were talking about yeah, right, no, no. utopianism. Not, not uh, in this but you, Everyone has their own yeah. utopias. You know, the new year one is classic, you know, <laughs> new year, new me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, but we're doing that all the time. Oh, I'm going to start this thing on Monday and I'll do this, this. And then it, you're just the same guy then as well. Um, so you, that kind of stuff, I get less likely to get pulled into that stuff. Mm. And just a, these are all completely kind of abstracts or anything. It's just a better sense of reality of how things work. So like you can't get pulled in conspiracy stuff because, well, obviously it's just all different people wrestling over power and greed and fear and all these things intertwined. It's just the basic stuff that you see more clearly in yourself now. So you just assume it's running amok and everybody else like it wasn't you until very recently so you don't get surprised by this stuff you're kind of um forgiving is not the right word but you just expect that that's yeah. the way people will behave you don't you're not shocked by it and you're not like moralistic about it no uh, yeah you, you understand uh, so um, your where they're coming from behavior right? changing yeah. your interpretation of other people's behavior changes also yeah totally I think the other interesting thing is to look at what you used to be like. <laughs> and I know everyone can do that to some degree. But after you have these experiences and you, you really infer your character, so you infer it uh, in the ways that you were describing, then you, you there's a stark contrast, stark contrast. It, you know, you're almost looking at a completely different person. Um, you should be cringing about yourself. Totally. You should really cringe. Totally. Yeah. But not cringe in a way that uh, yeah. shuts you down, you know, not like a way that that 
you just cringe. You're just rolling your eyes in the beginning. Well, you're most of your life you're avoiding it and thinking the opposite of what it is. Hmm. Kidding yourself on that you're really the opposite. You have a kind of twisted version of the truth that covers up. It's a good cover story. Hmm. So like your big problem, you've converted into that. Actually, this is the really good thing about me. Yeah. So it's impossible to change because you you see it as your best thing. Um, but then over time, you just kind of. Uh, you 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 just flip these these things kind of flip and you you stop being bothered by it. instead of rolling your eyes you just kind of smile and then but you don't then immediately jump to the old an old ten, another tension based reflex was I'm gonna change all these things and have this big you know hmm. um, you go over the top the other way so you don't have that either so it's really weird and um, you just find yourself different some of it might just be getting older. For sure. Less for aggressive, sure. less testosterone, less yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, that's part of it. Uh, and a lot of people I see in our sphere online get confused by this. They just, yeah. they've just got older. They think they've had all these epiphanies. They've just got older. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Exactly. You know, they're thinking about things differently. Oh, you don't want to. Oh, it's stupid running around bars chasing girls and yeah. doing this other thing, settling yeah, down. Oh, wow. You're yeah. the first person who's ever came to that conclusion at your fucking age. You know, it's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. Um, they do all the things that they say that they they um, mock women for doing. They all do. They do them all themselves. All yeah. guys. They just don't see that they're, they're there's just phases of life. So there's that going on. Uh, so you have to get a feel for and some experience before you know what's just that stuff and what is the results of the work you're doing. Mm, mm. Uh, and you need someone who's further ahead on than you in the work, whatever your the method you're using is to help you because otherwise you'll just delude yourself um, or you'll take longer to do things than it needs to be. So mm. you need some kind of teacher at some point mm-hmm. because if you're going to change your character, there are different methods of doing it. We're just talking about some of them here. Yeah, You have to, um, you by definition, you'll be doing things that are the, you, by definition, you're dealing with things that you don't know, you can't see and you lie to yourself about. Yeah. So, very rare for someone to be able to t- deal with all that without an external person. Maybe impossible. Yeah, probably, probably impossible. Or, or I think at least even Buddha. Buddha was getting taught by his old teachers, mystical teachers, and and, and Hindu guys, didn't he? So he, and, he like he didn't just come up with it out of the blue. He'd been and, trained in things, didn't he? And Davis and uh, various other spiritual beings. <laughs> I think, yeah, allegedly, allegedly. Um. Yeah, you know, the other thing is... I, well, Reich, Reich had his UFO buddies. We're training he, him and he, teaching him. Yeah, sure, so. could be onto something. That must be the next step. The next step in evolution is Davis and UFOs. Actually, there's a guy online who... Um, there's is, many guys online saying stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, who, who's associated with... like I, I did a couple of podcasts with, with David Reynolds, who's an ex-Theravada uh, monk. And he's got this, this friend who has this amazing channel... Uh, on BitChute, I think it is. And he, yeah, gets into Nazis and UFOs and Davis and ties it into Buddhism, traditional Buddhism somehow. It's a classic mashup. Uh, you know, I quite enjoy it. Uh, I, I was going to say, in terms of character, the other thing we need to talk about is the intellectual component. So for sure, you need someone to show you the ropes. Uh, or at least someone, yeah, who's been through the process who can offer you some kind of uh, advice, I suppose, or not advice, but uh, some some pointing. And 
part of the process, it's often not well understood, is the intellectual part is the use of language and analysis of yourself. Um, and that's particularly important uh, with the Reichian method in particular. And I think Hyatt even had his own, you know, I think he had stuff like, what was it, despair maths and, uh, you know, various other things that you would use to gauge what was going on over time. Yeah, he had a, he had a ton of cognitive yeah. uh, exercise and stuff. And there's an interview, he's asked, what's the first thing a young guy should do? And the first thing he says is uh, clean up your all your cognitive bias and um you know, your logical errors and that kind of stuff. It's all like yeah. he has a start with the cognitive stuff. He actually says that explicitly. Mm-hmm. Whereas Absolutely. everybody isn't attracted to that though. They're either attracted to the magic mystical Sexy stuff bit. or the, yeah. it goes straight to the, the meat, which is normal, especially for young guys. It's, totally. You're, yeah. You know, you're, you're not going to do what the older guys tell you about being sensible <laughs> and do this. You're just not going to. No. Uh, and Hyatt, I think, played along with that. He just, he let people do what they wanted to do and didn't care. <laughs> Well, what you know, they're going to do it anyway. Didn't care if people <laughs> made a mess of it themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, it is interesting because it is it is a big part of the Reichian method, and as you say, it's it's you know kind of boring in a way. I always found it boring, and I I didn't really take advantage of it for for many years. But once I did, I, I'd say I started to make the most uh, progress during during those phases. And I might actually link to a document uh, that I have here where this Reikian therapist outlines like how they actually do it. But effectively, it's kind of an analysis of like looking at yourself, um, taking notes of sense impressions and dreams and stuff like that. But also like trying to analyze yourself. So like if you, you look at yourself in a certain situation, uh, maybe one that you're having trouble with, I don't know, maybe you get nervous in, in certain situations or, uh, you know, you have some other reaction that you think is substandard and is not serving you. And you analyze that situation, um, you describe it, you describe what happened. And then through this process of grabbing these data points, over time, you can begin to put together a picture of your character, what you're really like, which may not be obvious to you. Well, sorry, isn't obvious to you. But uh, through this a- analytic work that you can actually start to get a good picture of what you're, you know, what you're really like and the parts of yourself that, you, that you're missing. But uh, I just wanted to go back quickly, uh, if we could, because I, I wanted to put up a picture at this point of um, of the segments. And I just wanted to talk about the segments again and how they relate to uh, Eastern mysticism, because it's something about Reich that uh, I think is getting a bit more airtime now. And I even thought I saw a book that someone wrote about it once, but for whatever reason, for like the last 40 or 50 years, what I've noticed is Reikian therapists everywhere deny that there was any Eastern influence on his work, which I just find to be just insane the more I look at it. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, you're talking about the circular thing. I know. Back like, and down thing. I mean, yeah. we've heard this before. Totally. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a picture up now. Um, so so there's, he, here are the segments of, of – uh, of the Reikian conception of the body. So you have the ocular or eye segment, you've got the oral segment, 
segment, sorry. You got the cervical uh, segment, thoracic, uh, diaphragmatic, the abdominal, and the pelvic. And these, uh, you know, I, I got to admit, I don't know about you, Kevin, but that, that sounds awfully familiar to me. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. But, uh, I, you know, I'm not suggesting that he stole it, but I, I honestly think the more I think about it, um, I think that he appropriated pretty much well, all Well, you have to remember this time, the time he was working. He was Exa- working exactly. you know, early yeah. 20th century, the early psychoanalysis. The whole of Europe was full of occult and mystical and esoteric stuff then. It yeah. was like, it was the main thing, you know, like um, every, even if you go back a lot of the, even the rationalist kind of philosophers or writers or whatever were surrounded by people who were occultists and um, and stuff. So there's no way, and all the Eastern stuff was coming over then. There's just no way he wasn't aware of these things. Yeah. And it's kind um, of annoying the though. The psychoanalysts would investigate telepathy and all stuff like that yeah. as well. They're, they were, yeah. they were involved in this. They came out of that. I would bet that a few of them were involved in it secretly, but because they were trying to make it medical. Well, I mean, Jung is a good example of this, mm. you know, he's mm. an occult philosopher with an occult system yeah. who's, Try to medicalize psychology. it. Psychology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, read the Red Book, anyone. Um, so, like, but he kept that secret for professional reasons, you would say, or to be taken seriously, which is fair enough. You have to do what you have to do. So, Reich, I don't think Reich was like that. I think he really believed he was making a medical, mm. medical version or a physical, and then later a physical, physics version of uh, these things. Uh, maybe he kind of just thought they, that was like silly old ideas. Uh, you know, like um, he may have had a kind of a, what's that book? You know, Fraser's Golden Bow. You know, where the the magic was just uh, the magical worldview were just like bad science, hmm. and now we have good science, so you don't need that anymore. Me, Reich may have had that. I don't know. Um, whereas people have discovered these things in different ways before in different cultures, with different context, with like a different philosophical conceptual framework uh for a different people in a different climate with different biology and different food and whatever else um so reich may just be the uh german version <laughs> the german uh jewish version early twist yeah yeah vienna or wherever he's from yeah. um that Viennese, kind of worldview yeah. version of it yeah so i mean uh what what it does annoy me about him a little bit though is he does shit can Eastern religions at the same time as effectively taking his model from. <laughs> so he, he associated mysticism with um, what's the word the non non orgastic character is it orgastic? The word escapes me. There's so many org words. Um, but yeah, he he saw. Mysticism is is a negative uh, representation of the body's energies in much the same way as a violent person or an, an aggressive person or something like that. It was it was an inverted he's form right of the he's energy. He's talking about the detached kind of mysticism, you know, sure. like the the body hatred kind of stuff, where they're yeah. just like trying to be in this other realm, life denying, escape yeah. life stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we like the way we're talking about it is really like psychophysical or um, non-dual mm. or however we say it. Um, is closer to Reich's kind of worldview in that sense, for definite. Yeah. Um, uh, so, also, it's this is a, a partly this is partly a Western thing because we were coming out of 
you know, science revolution and stuff like mm. that. So it's not like we were kind of see and we kind of see these things differently than than people from other cultures would have. So, but it doesn't mean that everyone's not getting at the same thing from a different angle with its own limitations and yeah. plus points. Yeah, I think you know the more I, w- I was looking at all this stuff again to prepare for these podcasts and just brush up on on what was going on. But I also think there's an element that probably appealed to him being a Marxist. Um, where he saw that there is there is kind of a degree of utopianism in Eastern religions, at least in the promises of where you end up. Um, and, and I do think that there was probably an element of him taking that form of utopian promise and applying it in a psych- psychiatric way. I hope I'm being clear with this, but he you can clearly see the Marxist influences in the way that he contextualized his work, contextualized it, not in the practical uh, sense, but but the picture that he paints of where human beings can ultimately go with with these practices and you know love and work and all the things that he used to say. There there is an element of utopianism that I think that he also took from the Eastern religions on top of the chakra similarities the kundalini organ thing is being the sex instincts being oppressed yeah and once you have this revolution it will be in charge and then everything will be great once it's fine yeah the the promised land right like yeah all all beings will be liberated (laughs) it's that kind of thing yeah it's yeah well orgastic potency orgastic potency uh, enlightenment it's his nirvana really isn't it totally totally the um point of or the the fully released free um, natural or however you describe it mm. orgasm reflex is the is fruition to him you know that's what the goal of the game was yeah. from he's coming out from the body therapy angle but whereas the buddhist may be sitting down from the more mental meditation angle mm. um but really that's they're kind of different angles for different types mm. of going at the same thing both with their different problems. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can see then, so from, from these segments, these transverse segments, when you have armoring in these segments and this occurs uh, as you get raised as a child in, in his theory, uh, which is actually not that far from the truth. I think I was reading somewhere that uh, like your your rational brain, your frontal cortex doesn't really even grow properly until you're seven years old. So before that, you're just like a sponge of whatever happens to me. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to be. So actually, yeah, but you're still all, you're still making conclusions though. You know, oh, totally, you, know, totally. Re- you can't reason, but you come to conclusions Absolutely. Kind of Absolutely. instinctively. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I was just going to say on that, um, that that's actually quite like a, it's quite um, forward-looking of Freud and Reich, because I think Freud had this idea as well. Um, and I'm sure there are other scientists that were looking into it at the time. Some names escaped me um, looking into childhood development. But in many respects, they weren't that far from the truth. Um, they're actually pretty bang on. Um, I think that a lot of what he says in his theory is true about children in the sense that um, 
I think Hyatt used to say this as well, but but they're not small adults and we tend to treat children in our culture as if they are adults and they're not adults because their brain doesn't work like an adult and they like they're literally not even the same type of animal. And that a lot of hangups that we have uh, goes back to like the rigidities that I was describing before. Um, as you, as you say, you react to the environmental stimuli, you are getting taught things and you do come to conclusions. And these conclusions are probably that they're meant to be how you react to the environment to protect yourself. I mean, ultimately that's what they're for, right? If you think about it. Um, but um, because parents are so incompetent and society is so incompetent and teachers are so incompetent, there's this whole range of delusion that you're inculcated with before you have the actual ability to reason out what is of value and what's not of value. Uh, I think, you know, obviously you look today, like that's why Zoomers are all fucking mental. because <laughs> They're just being assaulted before they had any chance of being able to reason through things. And I think this process actually lasts up until you're 20 years old. So your brain is not even looking done until you're 20. But particularly from ages one to seven, it's it's very, very pliable and you don't have any rational capacity whatsoever. So it kind of makes sense then that if you're like particularly in a stressful or tra traumatic childhood or all the other weird variances of ways that people get brought up, you could get brought up in a full-on biblical, like getting fucking beaten every night for not eating your dinner kind of thing or, uh, you know, with Hare Krishnas or who, who knows what sort of bizarre environmental stuff there is out there that kids go through and and, uh, and are brought up in. Being you could, beaten up by Hare Krishnas. They're getting beaten. Yeah, exactly. You didn't finish your fucking mung beans, uh, you know, you, you're, uh, you, you know, Krishna's not happy with you. <laughs> Take this. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, if, if that's the case, knowing that we what we know today and knowing what we know about what we've just gone through about how the, the musculature, um, you know, protecting yourself as a child is, is largely a physical process, right? Like you're sitting there, like if someone threatens to hit you or something like that, you cover up and, uh, you know, you're probably going to use all different sorts of muscles. And if that happens repetitively, you're going to form uh, body postures that are going to put you in that state constantly. So I think it it seems like a very reasonable proposition to me. And it seems very reasonable, therefore, that the, the associated brain development of children in stressful situations, um, you're also going to have neurotic or suboptimal outcomes, which I think we see all the time. Um, and you know, I, I did actually, there's a good quote here, just, just while I remember. Um, it's by Lowen. So Alexander Lowen was obviously one of Reich's famous contemporaries. I think he studied with him or something like that. But he, he says it well when he says that the character of the individual is manifested in his typical pattern of behavior and is also portrayed on a somatic level by the form and movement of the body. The body expression is the somatic view of the type of emotional expression which is seen on the psychic level as character. 
defenses show up in both dimensions in the body as muscular armoring. So he, you know, what I thought was interesting about this, why I grabbed this quote is because it actually ties into the work that you do as well, because he doesn't just refer to armor in the traditional sense. He actually talks about the body expression and the way that it moves um, and the form of the body as well as being critical and also all those things together influencing the character of the individual which I, I thought was a fantastic quote, but it's, it is all related to how children are brought up when they're young, um, the degree of stress they're under before they can reason, before they can make decisions about what's ridiculous and what's not. And I guess if uh, you think about the world today and how everything's so global, and at one time, maybe these peculiarities would have been segmented to their own geographical position <laughs> but now everyone's on the internet and so everyone's just being assaulted with this just kaleidoscope of fucking idiocy um that you know uh that the people i guess are not being raised right or they're not they're not being raised as children should be raised that's the end of my rant. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but uh, I, I could it's be wrong. Rant. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, it's the popular culture kind of understands the relationship between character and and body structure, body form. If you think about it, because mm. think like a children's pantomime, you they know who the bad guy is by the way he's walking. This creepy guy, you know, he creeps up or whatever. You can tell by the the. Well, anyway, the traditional bad guys and good guys had different would hold themselves in different ways. You know who the bad guy is. It may be like the the evil guy's contorted. He's got his hands and his fingers in a weird way. He's like mm. certain facial, holding his face in a certain way, and they you know it's a caricature and they kind of exaggerate it and whatever. But he's they have certain looks about them. Um, and then you know the good guy was going to be more the guy who's more up. The guy who's more upright in his models will be more upright in his body too. So, like, there's there's a kind of intuitive understanding people have between the way someone holds himself or the just the shape that they are is somehow related to their inner character. It's not hard and fast, obviously. There's, you know, it's not as simple as that. But everyone knows what I'm talking about. Mm. It's not politically correct to say it really anymore. But um, well, you look at the so memes it, online, right? Like the what is it? The Wojaks, just a vast range of psychological types. Uh, that even in those memes, even the Chud Jack meme, which is the guy that's like, oh, "Billions must die." I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. but you, you look at it. So he is, yeah, he is. It, yeah. It go, I mean, those things work because they're playing on this thing that we've all known since kids. You know, we've all known who the good yeah. guy and the bad guy is. We've all we all know when you just somebody's just not trustworthy. You all know when somebody's, you know, think of the word a creep. When a girl mm. calls a guy a creep, well, what is creeping? You know, when the act of creeping, that's a certain physical posture, and they're, yeah. you know, they're, and the creep, those two things go together. They're not yeah. separate. No, and the movement um, through space and just everything combined, right? Like the way that Lowen's exactly. describing that. Yeah. And there's tons of like metaphors that we use all the time, you know, like being, you know, he's an up, he's a stand up guy. Mm. You know, you can trust mm. him. You know, he's like, you know, he's, I'm feeling down today. Well, down physically, you physically go down when you're feeling emotionally down. Yeah. Um, you like th these things are just everywhere. And, um, and it shows in that no individual just quickly, just quickly while I got this thought, 
where the energies are fixated. So you, if you have yeah. the eyes to see that individual, the creep or the chud jack or one of the wojacks with the open mouth, if you, if you look at their body and you're trained in such a way, particularly you, you can see where the energy, you know, quote, quote unquote, is damming up, you know, where their character is stuck. Do you think? Um, you get a f- definite, you can get a feel for the way people are. You can, you know, like when I started doing this stuff, I, I remember there was one guy I saw in the supermarket years ago. I just had this horrible bad feeling beside him. You know, he really mm. looked like a bad person, you know, that I'd never had before. And I was like, well, I need to turn down that kind of um, awareness of people's energy patterns because you can't go around living like that. Yeah. It's too weird. I'm not saying it's 100% accurate, but it was so like, it was like horrible. And another way you're like, somebody's just, you like being around them. And we do, you know, we have phrases of this good, oh, good energy, but mm. good energy, it means something. You can actually break it down into parts, uh, analyze the different things and then, you know, uh, understand the bear. So like you, even Freud was onto this kind of stuff, you know, mm. the, there's the oral fixation stage, you know, the anal fixation stage, whatever. And we have all these, with these words and, and, um, uh, ways of describing people that certain body parts are associated with certain feelings and thoughts uh, and people can get too much in one, too much in another. Some of them are natural, you're bound to develop them. Some of them are neurotic or whatever. Mm. Uh, and there's there's no reason not to think that, well, you can just uh, you can go really go deep on this and you can start figuring out your own character based on your own structure and your own movements as well as figuring out your uh, I mean you can do both ways you can do new movements to create a new structure and see how that changes your character that's more what I work with now so can you um, just quickly, or you can work on can you work notice on top down emotional stuff and see how that changes your physiology and your movements which sure. both it's affects it from both sides do, do you notice just on the character things? So you've been working with people for a long time. Do, do you notice certain archetypes of character? Would you say like when you, when you work with clients, depending on their posture? You mean people in general or people I tend to see? Well, or I, I guess mean- maybe particularly your clients because you're, you know, you're looking at them and you work with them and you know a little something about them. Uh, do, do you notice um, archetypes of character? So, so what I mean by that, by that is that Reich, obviously, so we have the segments um, and then from the, the segments, he derived this, this idea of different character types, like archetypal character types. <clears throat> so I think he had the, you know, he had the, the oral character, the psychopathic character, the perfectionist, or the, I think it was called the rigid character. And the other one was the masochistic character. Which, which is quite intense language, I must admit. And then with, with each type of character, he actually went and associated, uh, first of all, like a, a dominant body shape or a dominant, uh, the way the body was put together based on which uh, character type the person was most dominant in. Um, and, and, you know, obviously you, no one's just one thing, but people tended to have one type of character and and according to him you know he could he could see this and and orgonomists say they can see this so i i know it's a little bit myers-briggsy kind of a little bit you know maybe a little bit subjective maybe not 
But do you notice a similar kind of thing? Not in, not in those terms, because I don't understand that what those terms necessarily refer to, but are there, are there patterns? Are there archetypal patterns that certain humans with certain characters adhere to more so than others? Yes. Well, yeah, because yeah, the game, a game I play with myself is yeah. I look at the person, I usually get them to move first, do some kind of movement experiments first, and then in my head I'm guessing what they do for a living. Hmm. And I guess what they do for a living, and then I ask them, I guess not based on, uh, oh, like, oh, I'm looking at his hand, looks stiff, he's probably types a lot, maybe. Mm. No, I don't mean like that. I mean the way this person is, they probably are ended up in a certain kind of role in life. And, uh, you know, like the the two of the extremes I get are the um, programmer type of guy. Right. Uh, and then the kind of athlete type of guy sure. to generalize, usually different body types. Programmer type of guy will tend to be you know, more skinny and more the energy and the movements high up in them. You know, yeah. they're they're head based, and then the um, the more athletic guys. You can see the way they hold themselves. They're they're, they're more they're um, they're more in their trunk hmm. uh, of their body a lot and. Because I'm getting people to do things that go against their habits, so I see them do the little fidgets, and a different type of guy, a more kind of intellectual, abstract kind of guy, will is it could be not move at not move very much at all, and it depends on which one, not move at all really in his body, and I can see his head going and his eyes going. Uh, so he's holding those tensions in in a way that the a more kind of brash, physical kind of sergeant major kind of archetype mm-hmm. uh is like moving his chest around and stuff you know he's like thinking with the movements more overtly or he's like feeling around in the movements more overtly um and then you'll also get like a more kind of uh round kind of guy who's who is the kind of archetype of the jolly fat guy i don't mean <laughs> fat but like you know like mm-hmm. that kind of the more kind of pear-shaped kind of yeah. body type these often have a different type of personality and they're more kind of um not kind of laid back and stuff um for me though i mean obviously i more like to get people who've gone to an extreme so now they're trying to do something about it uh another type you'll get is a very floppy miss um meditator spiritual bro <laughs> who's kind of can be really floppy who's done a lot of um body they've done yoga and stuff like that or they that kind of thing and they're very floppy and long and they've made their joints too loose and they're want to get rid of they think they're they're getting rid of tension and they don't hold tension they but it comes out in weird ways in them they're actually quite hard to work with because in my method you have to use various tensions in order to control the posture and if your mentality is to try and throw away all your tensions all the time usually they act out you know these are like a russell brand type you know that mm-hmm. you know, english comedian yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know like sex addict you know like that's <laughs> that kind of flopping around kind of thing yeah um you know he's another guy settled down now because he's old yeah. he is floppy though he's still <laughs> and also floppy. he does jiu-jitsu and stuff like that as well so he's yeah. kind of changed i think he's um he's he is changing his character sure uh slowly as just as a random example i don't follow him or that but you, yeah. you know who i mean yeah, yeah um so yeah there's those type of guys and then there's the, the sort of rigid guy who's more he'll be do some kind of athletics or sport or as a or um you know, military 
Gordon or, Ramsay. <laughs> they're, they're much more rigid and hold themselves tight. Um, along with they have a much stronger, forceful character. They're more active oriented. They're more um, uh, serious and disciplined and those things. They have like tend to have like a harsh self-discipline where they're making themselves do things in a kind of using anger as the fuel, which um, is the opposite from the kind of floppy guy who just lets things happen by itself. And it sounds yeah. like they all need different things. So in a way, even though Reich's theory is Reich's theory, it does pro- provide a kind of framework that a therapist can work from. So it sounds as if there's some validity to doing that. Like you kind of yeah, I think the basic method of of yeah. looking at the, the as like two sides of the same thing. You know, you're looking at it this one way behavior, speaking to them, figuring out the way they think, their concepts. Hmm. You're uh, you're also watching the behaviors, and then you're also looking at the body type and what the body's doing, and the interplay of these things. I think hmm. that kind of basic way of looking at it, that kind of basic method, is is definitely the right way. Uh, it definitely works. Um. And is, but the, yeah, the details of it and how you break, how you uh, slice it up depend on each person and depend on what, how you've been trained and depend on your interests. Hmm. Some people are really interested in the, you, know, you said the Myers-Briggs, that personality kind of stuff. Some people are more interested in the body type stuff. There's, um, there's the guy, what's that guy's name? He was in Hyatt, uh, Hyatt Robert, um, Sheldon. Hmm. W something it's Sheldon or something. He's the body type guy. You know the guy who came up with soma type, okay. endotype, right? Hmm. Uh, uh, meso, mesomorphic. You know, I can't mesomorph. I can't remember the. Well, the body. But basically, it's the same easier, thing right? I'm talking about. Yeah. It's the the round guy, the rigid guy, the thin skinny guy, and the the rigid kind of athletic guy, and uh, he had all sorts of personality predictions based on body types like that so he's like hardcore body type look at the body then predict mm. type of person um some of that can be changed through the work i do and, and these kinds of work but to a certain level it's just the way you are you yeah. so you can see in little very young children you can see he's like he just looks like a soldier this guy <laughs> and this other guy looks like you know like feminine or whatever and this like they just look different and mm. then they grow up and they're different yeah you know it's just the way it is yeah, interesting. And I, I, I don't yeah. think you should, can reduce it all simply to genetics. I think that's too simple, simplifying too much. Yeah. Obviously, it's a big factor, but it's not. Um, it's not as simple as that because, like you say, it's like up, the upbringing does matter for how you learn to deal with your tensions. Sure. You get a body tension, which causes an emotional tension, which causes thoughts, and then those thoughts feed back into the body tension, which emotional tension, and it's, it's complicated. Hmm. It's yeah. not, and then other people interfering with this and then how you are able to connect your own internal dialogue with your actions, which most people can't do very well. Uh, and then all the emotions just go haywire because they're out of control. Uh, and then people make the, mis- well, from my point of view, make the mistake of trying to just deal with the emotions in the body and ignore the mental stuff as if we're like animals. Yeah. But you can't. You need to deal with the cognitive stuff top, top down and bottom up together. Not, not that the one method they can do both but you need to be doing both methods you need to have something that's cognitive top-down stuff yeah i tend to agree I, uh, well i do agree uh, interestingly uh, i was uh, i was reading that reich 
said that it's so so the musculature, the skeletal structure, the fascia, uh, all, all those things uh, do matter, and they're influenced by by you know what happens and and how we we react to it in our developmental years. But the other thing that was interesting is I was referring to Israel Regardi's book um, uh, for some information. And uh, he referred to Crowley, 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 if you think of me foully, Crowley, if you think me holy, I think is, is what he said. <laughs> but um, yeah, he wrote that book, The Eye in the Triangle, and I've actually got it here. And I just opened it up for the first time in 20 years, I think. It is such a long time. But in that, he says that uh, he kind of ran an analysis on uh, – on Crowley. And, um, he said that his latent homosexuality was obvious from the shapeliness of his thighs. <laughs> and I, I cross-referenced that, uh, was with Reich, uh, a few days ago and Reich didn't just stop at the musculature and the, and, and that kind of stuff. He, he also believed that if energy gets dammed up somewhere, that you can develop fat deposits and fat fat can accumulate in these areas where the energy is not permitted to flow as it should between the segments. Interesting. Yeah, which is really interesting. And you know, back again to we're talking about the character of certain fat people. <clears throat> not that that's what he was talking about with Crowley. It's something a little bit different. But um yeah, for sure, there is the jolly fat guy type. A lot of fat guys I know are like that. So what? what is it? And they're laid back and they literally lie back. Yeah. You know, like they're <laughs> reclined and you know, like it's it's yeah, so yeah. interesting. When you start yeah. looking at things through this kind of lens, it's you realize it's all the time and how have I not seen it before? Yeah. And all of your words are metaphors. Most of them are out of awareness. You don't even realize they're metaphors mm. and they're describing body-mind interrelation from different angles. Yeah. And we keep splitting them apart, forgetting to put them back together again. Yeah. Yeah. And and you think, <clears throat> so from, from a Reikian perspective, then what, what they would say to do is to restore the healthy flow of energy between the segments. So in Crowley's case, um, you know, maybe he, ha he has some pelvic armoring or, you know, who knows how Reich would refer to, to that. But that, that would make sense if, if you came from a, a sexually oppressive household as he allegedly did. Um, and then you see his behavior for the rest of his life is as a degenerate, which, which could be seen as, a, as an ineffective way to try to express that sexual charge. <clears throat> so from a, a Reikian perspective, it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, uh, hedonists today that that overdose on sex and then i was thinking about the character of a lot of young guys i see out there the ones that say stuff like sex is gay <laughs> i don't know if you've heard them say that before which is a hilarious one i've never would have thought i, I would have heard that in a million it sounds years. it sounds like they have shapely thighs they do <laughs> exactly or they like them or but um yeah so so i i was thinking about that and, and just how okay so you know, maybe maybe Reich wasn't so wrong about the orgasm reflex being the the ultimate expression of this energy's ability to flow through the body 
And if if it gets dammed up, um, and maybe this is just in certain regions, again, I'm not a, an organomist, that, that it comes out in all these really peculiar ways. And, and it kind of reminded me of something uh, Bronze, Age, Bronze Age pervert said. He said that like today we, we don't live, even though everyone's a degenerate and watching porn and, and having sex and all this kind of stuff, uh, or sorry, not not having sex, but looking at OnlyFans or you know whatever it is, that we're not a particularly sexual culture. Like we're not actually sensual, and we don't have much of a sexual charge because, well, well he puts it down to his own reasons, like his the reasons that he tends to go for, I guess, which are energetic reasons, which are probably not all that different from what I'm describing here. But it's interesting to think from a Reikian perspective, like what is it about our age that has retarded the ability of that sexual charge to build, whereas in other cultures it is expressed in a more healthy way? Maybe, again, in the, the case of Bronze Age pervert, maybe something like Hellenic Greece, which he always uses, where we, they didn't have the same hangups about sexual activity. Or at least in some places at some times. I, I actually think that, so, so when I see those guys that are like, oh, sex is gay and these neo-Puritan attitudes towards sex. And then I see on the other hand, I see all the people with body counts of 600. I, I see it as like symptoms of the same illness largely. And I think that that is actually a lack of charge, of bioenergetic charge and that the sexual impulse is, if not the primary, probably the the best expression that that the average person has of this energy flowing properly. And that yeah, what, I mean, what, you can be you can be just as badly wired and tension. You could have just as bad relationship with your tension by doing lots of the stuff than by doing none of the stuff. Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah. It, but, it but again, in, in like a hedonist the case, person not doing stumming isn't is the worst one. But there, there really aren't the other one. You yeah. can't be with six hundred people without having serious, unless you're like unless they're coming to you for some reason, like your Genghis Khan. Well, right. maybe he's kind of <laughs> right. going to them too. <laughs> but unless yeah. like you're like warlord in that situation. But if you're the lifestyle required to be with six hundred people for practical yeah. reasons requires you to be doing things and living in a certain way, you'd have to be majorly tense and yeah. um yeah. not not going through the right cycle properly to even be able to live that way um yeah. it's, it's know, another like, i'm not set saying of lots compulsions. of people wouldn't do if they could yeah. i'm just saying in order to for the have the practical lifestyle that would lead to that for most people in our culture yeah. is um you have to be like hyper unsatisfied and tense to just maintain keep going out keep going out <laughs> or whatever yeah. you do to these horrible places and yeah. whatever. But it's um, the hedonism, right? So the hedonism yeah. itself is a compulsion. So even though they think they're escaping the, you know, the the sex is gay type morality, they're actually not. It's just another form of that charge not being able to to express itself properly. It's um, it's another type of perversion yeah. of of that sexual impulse. Because as you're saying, it is it is a compulsion. The behavior surrounding being a hedonist is kind of itself a compulsion because of the effort that you need to put into being it. Uh, 
and the fact that it is in itself quite a compulsive act. Um, I, I tend to feel that it's really just two sides of the same coin. I think we do live in a kind of sexless, uh, not a particularly uh, erotic culture at all. And I, I, I'm not sure what it is, but uh, there's, there's something going on from an energetic point of view, in my opinion. I often think some of the hedonists that I hear about are, are worse than, you know, the, the church ladies. I it's just some thoughts I've been having. I, I you know, maybe you don't agree, but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, what we're yeah. we're talking about here is as well as um is uh, straight guys. You know, it's a bit different for gay guys because sure. they're well, not even gay guys. guys. But I mean, women as so well. For example, like very promiscuous women who are kind of going yeah. around like almost like doing it out of a sense of anxiety. It, it feels like sometimes, but um, yeah, I don't know. Um, something not right <laughs> with, with all these people. Maybe they need to do yeah, some sure writing and work, man. But they, they tend not to seem very um, liberated and it tend, they tend to mm. not appear like it's given them what they thought they were getting from, sure. from what they were doing. Yeah. Um, the, so, I mean, I'm not sure, but I'm sure Reich's opinion on all this is that that's just another type of um, problem, doing it too much, and it should be more love-based or whatever. I'm guessing yeah. Reich's more like that. Or, or I, I don't, think, I don't he is, think he's like yeah. the free love guy that people make him out to be. Is no, that right? No, not at all. Yeah, he's not at all. Yeah. Yeah, not at I all. I didn't think so. So, yeah. he, uh, yeah, so like it, the culture now is just... Um, it's, a lot of it's just people acting out their tensions in different ways yeah. um, or yeah. having new tensions in order to prevent this other tension that is too embarrassing or traumatic for them to admit. A lot of the politics stuff is people are getting a little physical tension about certain things that they deem to be bad that then they have to act out verbally in order to cover up the physical tension they're feeling. You know, they have mm. to be shout at people on the internet and they have to be really hardcore <laughs> ideological yeah. about saying because they're covering up something that they don't, they're not comfortable with that's may or may or may not be in awareness yeah. but i guess in the beginning it was uh they may have a certain feelings towards certain people or certain thoughts about the way things should be <laughs> that are immediately shut down by their emotions that's bad yeah and then they have to build up this other structure on top of that so all mm-hmm. of these things are like intertwined all the time Absolutely. and then there's just the natural feeling that you just you know you want to go and have fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and amongst that, you know, and it's normal to do these things or whatever. Uh, different cultures have had different systems for dealing with it. Some better, some worse. And uh, it's hard to, like, you can't really pluck one time, one uh, time period and say they had it right here and this one there because you can't really take things out of context with that. It depends on the people. Yeah. depends on what stage their civilization was in. It depends... Uh, the old Spengler coming out now. Here we go. <laughs> yes, Spengler comes out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean that's it's just it's just the way it is, and yeah. everyone wants a, a simple answer to it. And they they have their, you know, a lot of the guys doing the most of the shouting about this is the way it should be, that's the way it should be. They didn't think that a few years ago, so they they seem awful certain about something now that they thought the opposite a while ago which may again just be the same tension patterns coming out. Mm. 
I deal with attention by having this set of views. Okay, now they flip to this other opposite set of views, but it's still the same function of protecting those tension patterns. Yeah. So they're just the same person with some different words. Yeah. And trying to change the external world often in impossible ways, quite frankly. There, there, there was a discussion today about how you should go and get a job because you need to go and get the job to subvert the system from from the inside of the corporation or the government body or you know who knows what they were talking about. And uh, in all these threads, I don't think I saw one person talk about doing a job because you actually like doing it. <laughs> which I know is a fucking outrageous concept. Um, it's got to be about like subverting things from the inside. And I can tell you now, Kevin, I work at a large corporation and there's not a fucking snowball's chance in hell anyone subverting anything. I can tell you that right now. That's not happening. Um, but I, I just tried to inject a little bit of sanity into it like like okay yeah maybe maybe you can go and subvert it or you could just go and do it because you wanted to do it and you were good at something um and that um if you know if you go into things again it, it all ties back to this not understanding why you're doing something so if you're approaching something because as you were talking about before you're tense you have some unresolved uh character issue um, it's it's leading to these compulsive forms of behavior where you're you're thinking that you need to do something out there in order to make everything in here okay, and you're approaching life from a compulsive point of view. Then when you do age and when you do grow up eventually, because a lot of these guys are young, in your mid thirties, when you're uh, a middle accounts manager. <laughs> With a, with a team of three people who you don't particularly like and you're sitting in a cubicle all day and you look back at why you made the decision to do the thing because you weren't coming from a place of being conscious, truly conscious of why you were doing something, you're going to regret it and you're going to be like me and you're going to be trying to find your fucking way out of it. So <laughs> I'd recommend to those guys, like, don't go down that path of satisfying uh, these weird abstract goals and coming from a place that is compulsive and it's compulsive in the way that we've been describing tonight, in the way that your character functions, so you're not aware of because you're just not, it's going to make you, it's the wrong way to put it, but I guess it's kind of the right way to put it. It's going to make you make decisions and do all these things that later on you're going to suffer from because you weren't approaching the decision from the right point of view to start with. And uh, I think that's it's a danger inherent in listening to people on the internet who also suffer from the same thing. Um, you know, on top of it being a, an absurd thing to think that you're going to subvert the hierarchy of Goldman Sachs or something like as if that's fucking even remotely possible. I know. Start Ridiculous. at least start with subverting your own tension patterns. You know, yeah, like the, the yeah, things yeah. that it's making <laughs> exactly. you do. Uh, subvert those first before you can do. Because otherwise, you're just acting out your tension patterns. Exactly, and then anyway. and, and at least when you do that, and I guarantee you most people will do that. They'll go through the process and they'll be like, "Fuck, I don't, I don't give a shit about any of this." They probably will think that, or anyway, it will, it will reduce the energy that they put towards these things at least uh, the at other least thing about all this the 
the tension and, and this is that it but you identify with it, it becomes the person's uh, personality so yeah. unless they've done the kind of meditation work or um, other things that other methods that lead to the you know uh changing your understanding of subject object relationship yeah. <laughs> to be really bland about yeah. um unless you're doing something like that you will always you just end up identifying with those tension bars and, and basically you are them so you you anything you do and think is is based on those your your deepest character would be your understanding of the subject object relationship everything's mm. built on top of that mm-hmm. so if you have some kind of um breakthrough in a practice doing that that has to filter out eventually into your character it has to because mm. everything was built on top of is built the lowest level would be me and it you know like i world you know that kind of split that the kid has to develop in order to survive uh, to be not like a human, you have, mm. like you need th- that split, and then you do the practices, and then you realise, okay, that's that was actually a delusion thinking it's that way. It's actually it's not like that, um, but you understand it, and you then you're now detached from the tension patterns. So you can do something slightly different, or you can see them and go, oh, that's me. I'm doing my thing again. I don't need to do that this time. Or if I go that place, I'll end up the way that makes me feel there. You know. Way it makes you feel probably you know self tension patterns. I'll end up doing these other things, so I just don't go there. So you you kind of just come become more skillful in um, dealing with your tension and avoiding avoiding things that cause tension destructively out of um, out of strength, not fear. You're not running from it or being a coward. You're not hiding. You're just choosing to do something else, and then over time, your sense of self, your eye, is slightly different. Hmm. Because it's not created from the same set of tension patterns anymore, and now you just have a new character, and you're, you it just it happens by itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can't. That's the thing. You can't do it directly. You can't directly try and change your character because you're. It's your character who's trying to change it. Hmm. Part of your character <laughs> is thinking hmm. that you, you can just change something so deep instantly without any repercussions, yeah. as if it was even possible. Um, that's already a. Um, symptom of the problem so you need to kind of it has to be done indirectly and slowly and uh, over time and you need some kind of objective verification or that you're not kidding yourself on and uh, over time your your whole relationship to to tension and energies and these things kind of changes yeah well I think that's probably a good way to finish up. Wise words. Do you have anything else? No, I'm good. Talked mm. out. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, run um, ten- I've run out of tension that I can release on the internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've let everyone have our tension tonight. For want of a bad expression. Yeah. Now, now it's theirs. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's annoyed somebody and their tension will make them <laughs> get their tension out by writing something interesting, constructive and useful that we can read. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it, but it probably won't. Probably not.